even as you all take a seat this morning, I want us just to stay in a, a moment of prayer and worship together. Uh, and God, we delight in you. It's so true when we are tasting your goodness. We have every need met. We're not going to be in want. You're going to be sufficient for us in every way, Lord. And so, God, we want to pour out our prayer towards you and our praise towards you. I know usually I, I begin preaching right now, but I just want you to, to read this scripture with me from Psalm 8. It's just a prayer from all of us to the Lord. Uh, so again, would you read out loud the portions that are in bold here together? It says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels, and crown them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Again, Lord, it's good to confess that to you, that your name is majestic. It is matchless. And all the beauty that we see in our day, all the goodness that we experience, Lord, we know that you are ultimately the giver. And that God, more than that, not just that you have given us so many good things to enjoy and to do and delight in here, Lord, but you also are the ultimate gift. And God, that you have given yourself to us, that we might delight in you and know you. And so Lord, we don't want to run by that here this morning, but we want to again say that your name, Lord, is majestic. Your name is hallowed. It is precious to us. Because in your name, Lord, we find a refuge. And that every day cares and concerns, but Lord, we also find a refuge for our salvation. It's in you, Jesus, that we hide. It's in your name, it's in your righteousness that we take refuge, not our own. So Lord, it's a good, again, to tell you your name is majestic and worthwhile and precious to us. So Lord, we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you have been with us for any period of time, hopefully you've noticed that there are three words Three words that we often use here at King's Cross. It's an attempt to capture what fullness of life with Jesus looks like. You might see these on t-shirts, you might see these on a sign. The words are enjoy, belong, and renew. Again, enjoy, belong, and renew. Maybe these sound familiar to you. This first one, enjoy, comes out all the time, even in that prayer, that we are designed to enjoy God. It's not meant just to be a duty to follow him, but it's also a delight to be in a relationship with God. 
I love one pastor, John Piper, he put it famously, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. So it's when I'm most full of joy and satisfaction, I feel full of eagerness in him, that's when God is shown to be most appreciated, most worthwhile, his beauty is most clearly seen and apprehended by me, that's when he's most glorified, so we're called to enjoy him. But we're also called to belong to one another. Belong to one another. That God is not just eager for us to know him, to enjoy relationship with him, but he wants us to be in loving relationships with one another. And through through Jesus, we have new connections with one another that we otherwise would not have. A reason to care and carry one another's burdens. Meant to belong to one another. This is why we talk about home groups. And wanting you to join and be a part of that, a place for you to connect and Bible studies. This is why we also say we're so glad you are here if you're new. We want you to be welcomed because we have a God that has so generously welcomed us into relationship. So we want you to be welcomed in grace. These are the first two words, enjoy, belong. But I confess to you this morning that I feel like I have greatly neglected this third word in our church, renew. That God is calling us to participate with him in his mission of renewal in our world. Let me just clarify this briefly. I I know there are things that we are doing, even like Care Portal that I just talked about, that we want to provide shoes for this school and care for the students here that might be struggling financially in their families. So we want to be present and renewal and caring. And I know there are many more things that we can do together as a church body and events and other things. But let me be clear to you. The core mission of our church will never be realized by an organized program by us. It will never happen in a single event that we accomplish or do together. The core mission of our church is realized through you. It's you in your everyday life, your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that weird Thursday. It's you on your mission and everyday life that our church is being sent, right? It's not in a program or a single event. It is through your life and what you are living every day. So this is why we're going to walk through a series called Sent, that God has sent us out on his mission. Yes, I love what God calls me to do as a pastor, but ultimately, hear me, my job is to equip all of you for the work of the ministry. It's all of you who are being sent into God's world to do God's mission. So if you would, open up with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you're unfamiliar with Scripture, The Gospel of John's pretty far into your Bible. You're going to go through most of it. You're going to hit Matthew, Mark, Luke. Slow down, hit John. If you're in Acts or Romans, you went too far. If you need to look in the front, don't worry. There's a table of contents there. John chapter 20. I'm going to be reading for us from verses 19 through 22. God's mission, he wants it to be realized through you. Again, John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22 says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So we say here at King's Cross to acknowledge God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's beautiful that Jesus, we're hearing some of his first words to his disciples after his resurrection. That's what John meant by on that first day of the week, the first day of Jesus' resurrection. That night, the disciples are gathered in fear, and Jesus shows up among them. And among the first words he speaks to them are, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. We may wonder, yes, but maybe is this just Jesus' 12 disciples? Maybe a more familiar passage you've heard before is from Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, hear this, everything I have commanded you. Everything. So every disciple that is made is called to obey every command of Jesus. And so we see even this command in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples would be included in that everything, no? So as he's commanding his disciples to go make disciples, you too are called to obey this command if you are following Jesus. All of us, all of us are sent. So hear me, there is no category of Christians that are called to go join Jesus in his mission of renewal. Like a special category like the Ruth Jansons of the world, right? Going to Dakar, Senegal. And then there's everybody else that's just called to believe in Jesus and then do whatever you'd like with the rest of your life. That's not how it works. There are no two categories or groups. There is just one group. And we're called, if you believe, in Jesus, you are believing that he was sent from the Father. And if you believe he is sent from the Father, you see he is in the same way sending you. So we cannot just receive part of Jesus' commands, we must receive all of him. Not just part, all or none. If you are following Jesus, you too have been sent. And I tell you this is good news, such good news. Because that means the beauty of joining Jesus in his mission is not just for some people, those that went to school for it, those that are employed for it, those that are professionally there. That is not who is meant for Jesus' mission. It is open to everyone who believes in Jesus. You too are given this beautiful privilege of joining Jesus in his mission. We are sent. So if Jesus is sending us, then let's just explore how, how is Jesus doing this? That's where I want to explore this morning this phrase, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Again, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
This clarifies for us that Jesus is saying, the way that the Father sent me, this will be the model for you of how you ought to be sent and do life. This, this is following me. So it's not about our preferences or our assumptions or maybe the best books on church ministry. What we're looking at is God's mission. So this is going to be God-centered and God-modeled, and we're following God's purpose. So we look at Jesus to understand how you and I are sent if we are followers of Jesus. You with me? What's beautiful about this is that there are roughly 39 times in the Gospel of John where Jesus has talked about being sent. So as he tells his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you, this is not the first time that they've heard about Jesus being sent. They would have heard this over and over and over again. It would have been stunning that, wait, 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 you the sent one are now sending us. They would have known very deeply what it meant that Jesus was sent from the Father. But in the same way, Jesus, the eternal Son, being sent by the eternal God, the Father, is not going to be exactly like us, right? Last time I checked, I am not God. I'm not at all even close. So there's a difference about how Jesus, being God, is sent from God the Father. There will be some ways this is not exactly the same. So here's where we're going this morning. I want to look at two, two statements from the Gospel of John where Jesus talks about how he was sent. And I want to first of all clarify how that's different for Jesus because he is God in the flesh. But then I want to then secondly look at how that connects to how we are sent. You with me? Two statements here in the Gospel of John. So the first one comes from perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible. If you want to jump back in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Jesus says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Heard that before. Goes on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now we're going to very quickly get to how this connects to how we are sent. But again, first, we need to see how this is different for Jesus. He has been sent to save the world. Because Jesus is a sacrifice for the world. That Jesus is the atonement. He's the sacrifice that redeems the world out of their sin so that we could be in relationship with God again. But you must see, this is only possible in Jesus. That we are not able to atone for ourselves. We are not able to atone for other people. There is only one atoning sacrifice that can redeem the world. That is Jesus Christ. And that is because he is fully God, stay with me, and fully man. About a thousand years ago, a man named Anselm of Canterbury, he wrote these lines that are really helpful for us. Hear this from Anselm about Jesus being fully God and fully man. It says, but the debt, meaning our debt, was so great that while man, humanity alone, owed it, only God could pay it. So that the same person must be, get this, both man and God. Thus it was necessary for God to take manhood into the unity of his person, so that he who is in his own nature 
so that he who in his own nature ought to pay and could not should be in a person who could. What does Anselm mean by this? He's saying the debt that humanity owes is so massive that only God could pay this. I, Caleb, I could not die for the sins of the world. I don't have that kind of worth. I don't have that value. I could not atone for anyone else's sins by dying in their place. That debt is so massive, it only could be paid by God. But here's the challenge. That debt must be paid by humanity. We're the ones that owe it, not God. So it's a price that only God could pay, but it's a price humanity must pay. Do you see the dilemma? So what we need in a redeemer is someone who's fully God and worthwhile and has the value to be a sacrifice in our place, yet is also fully human so that he can pay it in our place. This is the power of Jesus being fully God and fully man, that he is the one unique redeemer that only he could pay for the sins of the world. This is why the Father sent him. So there is only one who could be on a mission to save the world like this. It is Jesus, the God-man. But how is this like us in our mission? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. How does this connect to you and I today? Just as Jesus was sent by the love of the Father, so too we are sent by the love of God. That it was out of God's deep compassion for the brokenness of the world that he sent his son in our place. Out of his love and tenderness for you and I, that he came for us. And in the same way, his compassion and his love is sending us into the world. Now hear me, John 3.16 and talking about the love of God is one of the more familiar things in our culture and in the church. So I just want to take a step back and look at this from a different angle. Hear this from a writer named Michael Green in a book called Evangelism Through the Local Church. He says this, I love this. It says, did God like the world as he saw it? Of course not. It consisted of human beings and whole societies marred and spoiled by sin. He did not, could not like the world, but he could and did love it. The agape love of God is not, this is so good, not determined by the supposed worthiness of the object, as all other forms of love are, but by the nature of the lover. So good. So as we look at why did God come and send Jesus? Why did Jesus come and die on our behalf? It was not because we were so lovely. God was not looking down on humanity and saying, look at these deserving, amazing people. I would, I would love to be closer in relationship with them, so therefore I will redeem them. It was not about the loveliness of the object. It was about the nature of the lover. It's because God is himself love that he came for us. It's because God in his very nature is loving that he could not hold himself back from a world that was undeserving. It's like, I will pour out my love on you because that is who I am. This is such good news for you and I and says so much about how we are sent to the world. If we are compelled by the same love of God, we will not go towards those we think are worthy and wonderful and would be a great addition to our church. Do you get this? If we're going to be sent by the love of God, 
We're going to be going to those who are farthest away and the most forgotten. We're going to be going toward the unlovely and to the sinners and to those that are undeserving. Because hear me, church, that is what you and I once were. Man, I need this. What, What does Paul say? Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were influential or wise, but God chose the weak things of this world the despised things, the things that are not. We who are unworthy, he chose us and set his love on us that his stunning grace might be on display. So it's not because I'm impressive enough or wonderful enough or worthy enough that God came for me. It's because of his love. So in the same way, let us look around and say, who are those that are so lost and forgotten and feel completely worthless? The love of God is sending me towards you. We must have this kind of burning passion. Hear this from Michael Green again. He says, God is love. And he pours that love out, man, indiscriminately on his creatures. His followers need to be infected by that same quality of supernatural love for the needy and often unpleasant people. We must be infected with this kind of love. Nor our common right now culture does a pretty good job about talking about compassion and love. We like those things. But when it comes to our enemies, when it comes to those who have hurt us, when it comes to those who have made themselves undeserving by doing something awful, we are quick to cut them off and forget them. We need this kind of faithful, compelling, infectious love from God that tells us we will reach out to those who have hurt us We will reach out to those that are exhausting to us. We will reach out to those who are our enemies because this is how God loved us and is sending us. Do you see this, church? Can I just talk about one quick example here? A guy named William Booth and his wife Catherine started the Salvation Army. I know this looks like Father Time. It's not Father Time, okay? (laughs) This is old school. William Booth and his wife Catherine, back in the 1850s, he was a preacher And he felt God leading him to go to the poor in London, out on the streets, leaving familiar church services like this and going out to the streets and reaching those who were lost. He began to preach. This offended the religious people in London. They thought this was not civilized. This is not how church is done. You don't preach out on the streets to the poor like this. They need to come into the church. But the love of God had infected the heart of William Booth, so he could not help but go to those who were farthest away and forgotten on the streets of London. So he and his wife, Catherine, they start to preach to the thieves and to the prostitutes, to the gamblers and to the drunkards left out on the streets of London. And these people begin to hear how God delights and loves them and has sent his very self in the Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem them. Their value could not be more. And as they are awakened to a sense of the love of God, you know what they started to do? They started to tell other people because they got infected by the love of God. And so they're telling their fellow prostitutes and gamblers and drunkards about this love of God that has come and transformed their lives. You know that in a four-year period, Within the British Isles, 250,000 people came to know Jesus through the Salvation Army. Four years. You know, this doesn't happen through natural organization. This doesn't happen through a single program. This happens 
through the people of God catching on fire with his love and saying, I know something that I must tell you about because I see I am sent to you. I am sent to you. So King's Cross, let me ask you, who are those unlovely people in your life? Who are the forgotten and the difficult and the farthest away? Even right here in Rice County. Who are the enemies for you that might make life difficult, that have hurt you, that you'd rather stay distanced from? Do you see that as the Father sent Jesus to an unloving, undeserving world, so he is sending you. He is sending you. I love that this can be Ruth in Dakar, Senegal. We need people headed to the brothels in India. We need people going to the forgotten refugee camps in Africa. But we also need people right here in Rice County. Do you see this? Do we have eyes for the many struggling people right across the street from us that we're buying a coffee right behind in a coffee shop who's sitting at a table right next to us in a restaurant? If we would have eyes to see, as Jesus had eyes to see, what would God begin to do in this county? This mission is accomplished through you. So first of all, we are sent by the love of God, but secondly here, we are also sent to do the will of God. Jump with me a couple chapters later in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 38. We're sent by the love of God. But Jesus also says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Simple. I've not come to do my will. I've come to do the will of him who sent me. Again, let me talk about how this is different for Jesus before I talk about how it's connected to us. Jesus is not saying that he's come to do the Father's will because he's not equal with him, as though he is not trustworthy or his own will is not worth following. We must again hear that Jesus is fully God. We confess as Christians that we believe God has eternally existed as three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We do not believe in three different gods. We believe in one God, one being, one essence, but he has existed eternally in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity together. So whatever we would say about the Father and his divine nature, we can also say about the Son and his divine nature. They are in complete unity together. One God, one being. So we cannot say that the Father would have one will and the Son would have another will desiring something else. They cannot be in contradiction to one another. Do you see this? So it's not because Jesus is lesser or is not fully God that he's saying he's following the Father's will. Why is he saying this then? We're about to do a deep dive here. So just stay with me. We're about to go real deep. Jesus also has a human will. He's fully God and he's fully human. So Jesus has a desire to rest and to sleep. He has a desire to eat and to drink. He has a desire for his own comfort and to ease. He has a human will. And theologians, we call this, uh, here we have this word for you, massive up on the screen for you, diothelitism is the name for this. Can you just say that out loud with me? Just cheesily say diothelitism with me right now. Diothelitism. Yeah, you got one word that you're taking home with you today. This just simply means two wills. That Jesus has a divine will and a human will. 
that he has a desire again for sleep, for comfort, for rest. Now, now why is this important? Why are we diving into this word? That Jesus has a human will. This is massively important because, listen to this person, uh, Gregory of Nazianzus. This is about 1,700 years ago. He wrote this. For that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. I know I'm stretching you here this morning, but let me unpack this for you. Gregory brilliantly says that what Jesus does not take on, does not assume in his humanity, when he's dying and raised from the dead, if he does not take that on, it's not being healed by him in us. So unless Jesus is fully human in every way, if there's something left out, that thing has not been redeemed. That's not been raised from the dead. That is not being sanctified in you and I. So as the Holy Spirit is working in those who have trusted in Jesus, what he's doing is he's taking your broken nature and bringing that into the fullness of Jesus in his perfect humanity. Jesus is the model in his perfect humanity. But if it's not been taken on by Jesus, if it's not been redeemed by him, it will not be healed in you. Let me put this in more simple terms for us. Does anyone here have a struggle with a broken will? Do you ever find yourself at times doing things you do not want to do? Have you ever struggled with that? Does that sound familiar? Does it not become such good news to us that Jesus had a human will and that he lived a perfect life in obedience to the Father? wasn't a partial will like ours. He fully identifies and knows our struggle. And yet he has taken that broken will that we had and he's lived it perfectly so that it can be healed in you and I. This gives us hope so that Jesus, in everything that I might know and struggle with, I know you have accomplished fully in perfection and you can redeem and heal in me. Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. So this is why in John chapter 6, verse 38, he's saying, I've not come to do my will, meaning his human will. I'm not coming to do my own thing according to what my human desires might want. I've come to do the will of the one who sent me. Does this now make sense to you? I'm fully God. I'm already in his will, but I'm now laying down my human will so that I can follow his ways, whatever that might be. And he is a model for you and I and what it looks like to be sent from the Father. So hear me, as the Father sent Jesus, so he is sending you to follow his will. And if Jesus, in all his perfection, if Jesus, fully God, saw fit to submit his human will to the Father, how much more should you and I submit our wills to him? Again, there is no category of a Christian who says, I will believe in Jesus, I will follow God, yet I will do what I want with the rest of my life. That does not exist. He's saying, if you believe in me, then you also will follow the Father's will, even as I have followed the Father's will. There is an exchange of life here, King's Cross. I love how Paul puts this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Let me read this for us. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and so I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul's saying, it's not about my will, 
It's not about my ways, not about my preferences. Paul has been done and laid to rest. Now it is Christ living through me. So his preferences, his will is achieved, not my own. So let me ask you, whose will are you following? Whose will and preferences and decisions are you submitting to week after week after week? Is it your own? Or do you see that you are sent from the Father by the Son in the same way to follow his will? Can I just break this down again one more quick way? How this deeply impacts our lives if we see this. What I love about evangelical Christians and many Christians is that we have a deep value for life. And you might hear this about things like abortion and being pro-life. We deeply believe that God is beginning life in the womb and he's knitting together a baby in that womb full of life and value. But even as Christians communicate this so well, can we admit here this morning that when it comes to those children being born and growing up in our country, we are probably not doing the best job showing them the love of God. What I mean is this, we have a foster system here in the United States that is full of hundreds and thousands of kids in immensely difficult and broken situations that could deeply use a safe, loving Christian home. But I tell you, there are thousands of Christians saying they follow Jesus that would have capacity to open up their home to a child that do not. And sometimes this is because people are simply not called to do this. Not everyone here me is called to be a foster parent. Can I just say that again? Not everyone is called to be a foster parent. It's okay. But I have a guess that there are more people to be called to, called to be foster parents than currently are. Do you hear me? There's a certain level of compassion that we need. There's a certain level of laying down our preferences saying, this would be massively inconvenient to my life and to my family setup to welcome a child into our home especially one that's from a broken background or has this struggle or that struggle. But do you see that if you are sent from the Father, you gave up your will? You, you said, I am following what God desires, not what is always easiest for me. I'm afraid we in the evangelical church have gotten easy into believing in God, but we've not realized we've been sent on a mission the same way Jesus has been sent. And if we did, maybe we would see the so many people, so many children, just that example, struggling around us and say, God, you are calling me to step into that gap and to love these kids. So I don't know what's in store for the future of King's Cross, but I, I'll tell you, I really hope we have so many foster home families in our church. So many couples and people that say, I want to enter into that hard world and to love kids because I've been sent from the Father. <laughs> I've been sent just as Jesus was sent from the Father. I'm, I'm gonna invite the band back up for us to enter into worship. But I wanna clarify this a little bit for us one more time. As I say all of this, there can be ways that we can be compelled in dead, not life-giving ways. If, if you left here just feeling the guilt of I should be a better Christian, I've actually led you astray this morning. <laughs> I want you to be convicted. I want you to be challenged. But I also see that we will never be transformed if it's not by the love of God. That you must see how deeply inconvenient it was for God to redeem you. You must see how immensely difficult it was. As Jesus knelt there in the garden and he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. 
because he knew how tremendously costly it was going to be to take my sins on himself. And yet he did not waver. He did not give up, but he submitted to the Father's will, to the perfect will of God, not his own ease, not his own comfort, not his own preferences, so that you and I, you and I, might have life. You must see Jesus in that place and see his deep love for you, and that would compel you and infect you and say, God, I give you my entire self. I don't want to just believe in you and then live my life however I want, living after my own pleasure. I give my entire self to you to do your will. I want to be participating in your mission. What a gift he's giving us, King's Cross. So now, would you pray with me one more time here?